What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm chilling in festy season right now. It is deep in festy season already this summer. It's summer to me at this point because, I don't know, the weather's turning. It's feeling good. Summer comes a little bit late in Minnesota where I'm from, but I've been traveling a lot. I was in Europe for a couple weeks, spent some extra time in Amsterdam for like five days and, and other areas of the Netherlands because I love Netherlands. Came back, hitting some festies, ready to get back out in festy season. So fun. Just good hangs, good vibes. Another fun thing about playing festivals for musicians is that I get to see a lot of other bands, not just on stage playing, but also backstage and like the green room hangs, the catering area. I have a lot of internet friends that I've actually never met in person where we end up meeting at festivals or I do have actual real life friends that are musicians where we don't always get to see each other's bands because we're out on tour at the same time in different areas or different countries or whatever. And festivals are a fun time for bands to connect and, you know, figure out times that they can actually hang and collab and that sort of thing. That is one of the really fun things about festivals for me. I'm stoked. I got a bunch of festivals coming up. It's Corey Wong, some Fearless Flyers stuff, Wolfpack. It's gonna be great. I'm happy, happy to be out there playing live music. It's fun. It's very fun. And listening to music, like I said, at festivals. Today on the podcast, we've got neoclassical shredder Ingbe Malmsteen. This cat's got a really inspiring story from where he came from and to where he's gone to and where he's at now. It actually is a really inspiring story. And I didn't know a lot of it. It was interesting to hear him talk about it and hear about his upbringing and what it took for him to get to where he's at now and for him to kind of, you know, a classic story of coming to the U.S. and, you know, working really hard to come here and finding and landing his dream, you know? And now, admittedly, I'm not super, I, like, I don't listen to Ingve's music a lot. I totally respect him as a guitar player. He's insane. Technique just out of this world. And Strat Guy? Strat Guy? Shredder Guy? I like that a lot. That is dope. Shredding on a Strat. Strat's universal instrument. Scope out the Corey Wong signature. Hey! Or if you're, I mean, Ingve's got his signature too. Scalloped frets. Kind of hard for me to play. Sometimes I press down really hard on the Ingbe strat and it pulls the strings sharp. But I think that's kind of part of the vibe. It's part of his vibrato, how he gets his sound. Scalloped frets. You got like a crater. It's like a little canyon in, in each fret. So when you press down on the frets, you can push it a little bit harder, make the string go sharp, give it a different kind of vibrato. Maybe a little bit of a sitar vibe if it was scalloped a little more. I don't know. I don't know. But it's a cool guitar. Ingve, insane guitar player. Very inspiring story. I, I can't believe the technique that this cat has. And he's got a singular voice. He Nobody else sounds like Ingve. There's a lot of people that try to sound like Ingve. He has a singular voice. He's got an iconic sound. You got to give it up. You got to give it up for Ingve Malmsteen. Let's go. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? 
If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing, it works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you wanna use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. Well, thanks for joining us, Ingbe. Thanks for taking a break from your Ferrari rides to, to come hang. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> what kind of Ferrari do you drive? I got I got a bunch of them. A 60 Spider and a Testarossa and a 348 Spider and a 355 Spider. Where do you store them all? Where do you store your Ferraris? All in, all in the house. Dang, dude. Yeah. It's like that, huh? Unless when they're being fixed, you know, <laughs> then, then sometimes they're somewhere else. You, but you don't have enough Ferraris to have an in-house Ferrari tech, like a guitar tech. Well, I don't have it in here, but I have it like, you know, I have two guys that exclusively do all the mechanics. And I got one guy that do exclusively do all the leather and the soft tops. And I got one guy exclusively do all the paints. And they're all like the Rosario Gambino from Italy. And they're all like the, the best of the best of the best. It's great. It's wonderful. I love this about you. This actually explains a lot of things. I'm down with this. I'm down with this being where we start. So wh where are you right now? Where do you live? Sorry to, for that. I don't know what city you're in. Miami Beach. Oh, you're in Miami Beach. That yeah. makes so much sense as well. Okay. I like this. It's sunny even in February. Who would have thought that the guitar could get somebody multiple Ferraris with multiple Ferrari techs in a beautiful studio that you're in, in Miami Beach? I love it. Yeah, let me tell you something. You know, when I came off the plane almost 40 years ago now, I had a guitar and a toothbrush. Mm. It was one of these. It's, it's actually right there, the, the real one, the duck. And, you know, I left uh, my country because it was, uh, you know, basically the late 70s when I was active, you know? Yeah. It was basically as barren as, uh, you know, you're in a death valley. You know, you try to grow f f crops in death valley or something. Yeah. It was just a no for everything. So then I ended up sending a cassette tape to Guitar Player Magazine. And, and then all of a sudden I got all these phone calls. Wow. I was 18 years old. And it was crazy. And I just left everything. I just left. I said, okay, I'm going. But it was... I had really no emissions, much more than that I wouldn't have to like flip Bergs or something on the side, yeah. you know, so I could just live on guitar, making music, singing, playing, you know. So that was really the, all I all I dreamt of, you know. And then, then, of course, you know, sometimes you get interested in a few other things and, you know. 
Yeah, of course. That's that's actually that's an incredible incredible thing to know, like from where you came from and what you have well, now. Nothing really. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's it's uh, what a story. Okay, you brought up the country that you're from. There is a lot of incredible music that has come out of Sweden. There's a lot of music that's come in different genres that's come out of Sweden. We have very technical, very advanced musical concepts. People that have come out of there, quick examples like yourself and Dirty Loops. Then you have other examples of really incredible pop music and pop production and just like really well-crafted song sort of things like ABBA or the Max Martin thing. There's so many, so many types of, of pop music that have come out of Sweden as well. I've asked this question to several different people that are from there, but in your mind and in your eyes, what is it about the connection between music and Sweden and just the ability to lock into excellence in music? Like, I, I just don't know as many other countries in that part of the world that have it as dialed in as Sweden. I'm not saying that other countries don't have it. I'm saying that Sweden has something very special, and I'm wondering what it is. I think I might have a little different perspective on this. Yeah. Because I was sort of like, a, when I was doing this, I started recording, serious recording, in the late 70s. Mm. I didn't have a deal. But I was in the studio 24-7, and I would go play, and I would, I would like burn guitars on stage and stuff. I was a nut, <laughs> right? You know how many record labels wanted me? Zero. You know how many? Like, there was not, no one in Sweden wanted anything to do with me uh, as far as taking it on, you know? Yeah. And basically, as far as rock and roll, metal, or whatever you call it, there was like not one other band around. There was nothing. There was nothing, hmm. okay? In 1982, they had a big, like, battle of the bands kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, at the same time as this happened, it's when I got offered to come to the United States. So when I came to America, and I immediately started recording, I did three albums in one year, right? It's a huge thing, right? So all of a sudden in Sweden, they thought, wow, this kid, he actually, he actually did it. And then there was a, a couple of, it was one band that, that kind of made it sort of in Sweden also. And it was a rock and roll band that made it in this band, uh, uh, Ballad Bands. So, so it kind of like opened the door a little bit. Before you knew it, like 80, no, in 84, 85, I would say, the industry started taking notice in Sweden. And that, that allowed more, things to come out of there but when i lived there which, which basically i only remember this like the early that late 70s and early 80s you know that's sure. that's when i was playing you know? yeah. but it was literally nothing like, like if you had long hair you were like oh you know take a job you know like be real don't that's not a real job you know and it was it was a very very bad what's the word i want to use like the the the, the esteemed incident I came off the plane to the United States. God bless America. I'm American, by the way, very American. When I came to America, the first thing I noticed was the 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 attitude of people or the mm. lack thereof, basically. Okay. And 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 that you know 
like any age people that see a long haired guy, like they go like, Hey, are you in a band or something like that? In Sweden, they will go like, hey, take a, get a job, you drug addict, you know, mm. freeloading, you know, whatever. It was sure. extremely. So basically like in, in school, when you went to school, I don't know if it's like that anymore, but they, they would say, um, it would say to anybody, not just you, but let's say the little kids sit in school and say, Hey, Johnny, when, if, when you grow up, you can work and you can have anything you want. You can be the president of the United States and the encouragement, encouragement. Mm. Yeah. And anything is possible. Okay. You Americans take this for granted. In Sweden, when I grew up, you basically were told you're nothing. You can never do anything. Conform, be exactly what you tell you to be. Don't do anything out of the norm. Shut the fuck up and stay in line. Mm. It was like socialist fascism. It was absolutely horrendous. Horrendous environment for a free thinking, artistic, like person like me. Sure. When I landed in America, I knew I was home. Mm. I knew, I knew this is it. I'm home now. Yeah. I didn't belong there. So for me to, to comment on the Swedish scene and what, what they've done and so forth is very strange because that happened yeah. all happened after I left. Ah, uh, yeah. When I was there, it was a desert, basically. Mm. I mean, ABBA, ABBA had made a, a great splash, but they were hated in Sweden. People hated them. Oh, really? Yes, they hated them in Sweden. They thought they were like a commercial sellouts and they weren't for the people and, you know, very, you know, class warfare type of thing. Horrible. Yeah. This is how I go away. This, how, this may have changed now. I don't know. I don't know. Sure. I don't didn't really go there. And I do know there's a lot of stuff coming out of there. So obviously they, they, they allowed a more of an open thing, you know. Okay. I want to ask about early G3. So with the G3 tour, you toured with Satriani and Vi. The three of you each have your own very distinct voices on the instrument. You are absolute monsters of the instrument will probably forever at this point be cemented as guitar gods guitar heroes you've certainly cemented yourself as one of those as have both of them with that show and with when playing in things like that playing in the generation acts tour with zach wilde and vi and nuno and tozen each of you has to find a way because it's it's so much guitar. It's so <laughs> much technique on the guitar. How do you find a way to not feel like it becomes a competition? How do you find it for yourself how it how to make it so each individual can shine in what they do in their own self-expression? Okay, so so one thing I can say all those cats are great. I love them. They're yeah. all great guys. And what you would normally see, you know, unfortunately, a lot of guitar players are like little schoolgirls, you know. They're very jealous and they're comp competitive and stuff like this. Me personally, I never felt like that. I never felt that art is a sport, you know. Mm -hmm. Art, because this is what we do here. This is yeah, an art form. Absolutely. It's not, it's, it's not a sport. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you. okay, if you, if you win three sets in uh, U.S. Open, you win. There's no discussion about that. Roger Federer, my I play tennis, so I'm like a tennis freak, yeah. You can't say that, that that's not happening. But in art, you have Da Vinci, 
you have Rembrandt, you have Picasso, you have Van Gogh, you have, I also went to art school. So I, I always compare these things because to, to me, I think of much like a painter, you know, like a, mm-hmm. a, a painter paints the whole painting. That's why I don't have co-writers and co-producers and stuff like that, you know, because I paint the whole painting. I don't paint half the painting and I'm hey, dude, can you come over and finish my painting? You know, so that's my philosophy of work. But anyways, to get back to the guitar players, first of all, those guys, Satriani, Vi, Vi I've known since I was a kid, uh, a dear friend, um, Satriani's great guy. Then in Generation X, everybody is just great, you know, and everybody is unique. Yeah. Me personally, I never felt there was any competition. I always do what I do. They do what they do. And then we play together. We bring it together in an ensemble. And it's really, uh, it really comes out, you know, because we're all really different, you know, sound wise and note wise and everything. Never a problem. You know? I love hearing you say that because I think a lot of people, when they watch the shred world, I think a lot of people that are coming up as guitar shredders, as people that, and and I I, I even hesitate to say that word, shredders or shredding, but people that play guitar that, or want to get into something where it's just a lot of technical proficiency, a lot of people can treat it like weightlifting or they can treat it like a sport. And I really appreciate you saying that. I, I think... There is one more aspect to this, though, that maybe so I don't, you know, the way I've always approached my way of playing and my way of developing playing from day one, which is a long time ago. (laughs) We're talking about half a century. Mm. I would say that I would actually be competitive towards myself. Mm. Yeah. In the sense where I would never accept any substandard performance, I would never accept uh, that maybe I was in a better, you know, groove one day and the next day I wasn't really on. And you know how that goes. You can't be on all the time. Of course. It's impossible. Yeah. But I wouldn't accept that. So I would basically punish myself in a way where I would not stop the play. So I'm talking about now when I started. I would play 10, 12 hours a day. Wow. And I mean, I was insane. And everybody was looking at me like, what was this kid doing, you know? Mm-hmm. I can show you tapes that I did from 1978 when I'm playing arpeggios that ne- never been played on electric guitar before. Never. You know, I started with a, the, the four string, then five, so on, so on. Because I heard Michael Paganini and I heard this violin, Virtuoso violin playing. And I said, oh, I want to do that. But there's no school. There's no website. There's no book. There's no, there's nothing to do. You can go and say, how, how do you play? Paganini on a strap. No, get to work, son. So yeah, you in that sense, I would always strive to be on top, on top, on top, and every day a uh, 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 an improvement, you know, conversation and and knowledge of of every realm of of modes and so on. I would never say, well, yeah, yeah, baby, this yeah, no, I was. Pretty, pretty fanatical. Yeah, and I still have that in me. Where, uh, for instance, they, somebody would ask you, ask me, like, "What's your best album? The one I'm doing next? Mm. What's the best show? The one I'm doing tomorrow?" Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not accepting. Say, oh, that was a really good one. Oh, yeah, I'm nostalgic. I wish it was like that. No, fuck that. Yeah. So competition, yes, not with others though. 
I love that. I don't know if you heard my last album, but Parabellum is, is pretty fucking, I mean, it, if that was the one that came out in 84, everybody would say, no, no, that's the one. Because it has every element of, but I didn't do it deliberately. I, I just did it the natural, uh, the, you know, evolving out of myself, basically. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is I'm extremely proud of that one, you know? Absolutely. And that's actually where I want to go next is, okay, you brought up the fact that you've been doing this for half a century. So I feel like you've given me permission to ask. <laughs> Long so ass time. Your, your most recent album, Parabellum, you are going so hard. And there is, it's, I can tell there's still the fire. I can tell you still have the passion. I can tell you're still, you're still on top of your game. Like you're saying, Parabellum versus something like Rising Force. How do you stay physically because at, at some point, with what you do, there's so much physicality involved. How have you been able to stay on top of that? Because some people think, oh, as you know, you do this for a couple decades, eh, fingers or dexterity or things start to go away. How have you been able to keep the physicality up to par? And how have you been able to keep your, your burning passion for what you do going? Well, it's a good question. I'm, I'm going to try to think of the best way of explaining. Uh, first of all, the passion, it's, it's just something that you would think after all this time, it would be like, kind of like, uh, I think I have a theory. The reason I go and say, I'm going on tour in, in April, right? Just so you guys know, check inkmouncy.com mm -hmm. for, for dates. I'm, I'm all over the place. Yeah. I go on stage like Neil Armstrong stepping on the moon for the first time. Mm. I don't do, oh, I rehearsed this and I'm going to play this for you guys. No. I'm going to rip some shit out, out of myself that I didn't even have before. Not last night, not night before. Everything I play is improvised. Everything's a challenge. Everything's new, although, of course, it's within the scales that we, Western scales that we have. I don't, I'm not going to stop playing fucking bebop all of a sudden. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's the challenge to do that that is never safe it's never safe yeah and it's automatic and it's never something oh yeah you know no it's 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 the going to fucking war like a viking you know what i mean it's like it's like you you know it's fucking you know and that is what kept me going because uh if i would just play whatever's rehearsed i could do it on my head anytime and you could like whatever you want sure but that's always a challenge to me you know the challenge is to just improvise something that the people think it's written mm. mm. composition you know and what, what i do on my albums for a lot of people uh they, do, they think oh yeah your work so no but there's a harmony there yeah because i listen to the I, I record a solo and i don't listen to it then i put it on a cd or whatever and i put it in my car a couple of days later i listen to it like someone else and i hear oh that phrase there looks that would sound good with a third on top of it yeah. it was phrase. so I go in the studio I put the, the, the third top of that. so all of a sudden now it's a structure on something that wasn't written yeah so, so that's that, that, to me that's that where it's it's always like um, it's always a new and people can say well it's harmonic minors uh, yeah but those are the notes that I like I mean you yeah. know it, Eric Clapton, God bless him, I love him to death. Eric Clapton played five notes for 70 years. 
but I love him anyway. Yeah. You know? Angus Young used three chords and he's the, he's the best rock and roll guitar player I ever lived. Mm-hmm. You know? So you can't knock people for having a, a style because if there's their style and their thing, that's what it is. Absolutely. And I think what ends up happening is when, when people are so, somewhat unfamiliar with a certain sound or unfamiliar with a certain genre, they kind of cla- they kind of put everything in the same or like they compartmentalize the thing. Oh, everything, like all this funk stuff just sounds the exact same because they're unfamiliar with funk. Oh, all this harmonic minor stuff sounds the same because their ears or their tastes have not adapted to hearing different types of that thing. But what about the pentatonic blues scale then? Exactly. So many people are so familiar with that, they just allow themselves to give that a pass. But that's craziness. I know. <laughs> Even the gods struggle in vain against stupidity. You can't argue with stupid. If you want a behind-the-mic look at some of the most groundbreaking musicians of our time, you should check out the Broken Record podcast from Pushkin Industries. You get to listen to music industry icon Rick Rubin, along with producer Justin Richmond and authors Malcolm Gladwell and Bruce Headlam, sit down with artists you love for unparalleled creative insight into your favorite music. You'll hear revealing interviews with some of the most legendary figures in music, like Neil Young, Andre 3000, Alicia Keys, Bruce Springsteen. Actually, a couple of my favorite episodes. I like the David Byrne one. I like the one where Malcolm and Rick Rubin talk about making the Tom Petty Wildflowers record because I love that album. And Rex Orange County, there's great ones. You'll also learn about up-and-coming stars like Michelle Zahner, who talks about her big plans for her dreamy indie pop band, Japanese Breakfast. Insane band, great interview. With episodes featuring artists across rock, punk, hip-hop, jazz, Every music genre imaginable. There's something for everyone on Broken Record. Listen now wherever you get podcasts. Okay, I'll tell you what I love. One thing that has surprised me and I absolutely love about you as a guitar player, the Stratocaster. The Stratocaster is such a versatile instrument and you have been an ambassador for the Strat and you have shown the versatility of you're like the the strat has everything from now rogers eric clapton john frashanti stevie ray vaughn mayor Marvin. i i play a straight yeah exactly jeff beck all these different people and you got malmstein which is like way over here showing all these other things that are possible on the strat where some people might have thought Oh, maybe Stevie Ray Vaughan or Clapton is kind of the limit of where you could go on this side of the Strat. And then you take it all the way over here. Why the Stratocaster for you? And why have you stuck with it this long? Well, okay. So when I was a kid, again, you know, there was no variety. It was basically, there was no radio. There was no TV. There was no magazines. There was nothing. When I, when I grew up, there was one TV station from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Hmm. And, and it was usually... Uh, a program about a farmer and I did, you know, and, and so if a, movie, if a movie was on, everybody in Sweden would watch it. There was one rock station, but they, they no, that uh, pop music station, but they never played rock. And so everybody would go to record stores. I didn't know anybody that everybody would go buy Made in Japan, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. when I was in third grade, everybody in my class had Made in Japan and that was never on the radio, which mm. is something we did. We bought that one. Yeah. And so, 
basically I saw Stratocasters and I saw Les Pauls. And my brother had a Les Paul. And I thought the Les Paul, I'm talking about, I'm like six, seven years old. You know, I'm just a little tight. Yeah. I thought the Les Paul looked like an acoustic guitar. Mm. It wasn't exciting to me, you know, because I had an acoustic. So when I went electric, I want electric guitar. It looks like an electric guitar. Yeah. Of course, I saw Hendrix and Blackmore and everybody else using them too. But I, I, it's become sort of like a, such a natural thing for me. Um, and also that, you know, Nicola Paganini used the Stradivarius violin. The you know, Strat. Yes, yeah, Stradivarius. Uh, he, he didn't say, oh, yeah, I'm going to put a humbucker on this or uh, I'm going to put a full <laughs> rose. He, he, he just, no, no, I'm just going to take this one and play the shit out of it. Can That's you imagine so- Paganini with a Floyd Rose and a humbucker? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that that's why these are like this. I like that a lot. That's cool. And you were, correct me if I'm wrong, you and Clapton were the very first signature Fender Stratocasters. The first one. You were the abs- you were the first one. Absolutely. 1986. Dang. Yes. And there was a guy called Dan Smith, God bless him. Basically what happened, he told me a story. He said that Fender, Fender had a bit of a struggle at the uh, late seventies, early eighties because, uh, Van Halen, God bless him too. I love him to pieces. The way he came with his striped guitars and the, the humbuckers and stuff, even if they had a strat, they would hack it up. And, and mm. then all the other brands, came, Hamer and Kramer, I don't even remember all the names. Yeah. yeah. The Fender was, a little bit, you know, like they were kind of like old, goofy guitars, people. Sure. And Dan told me that when I came out with Rising Force cover, this, Out of the Fire. Yeah. He said they couldn't fucking build them fast enough. Wow. So he, he's, he, he and, and also about, besides this, Fender never had endorsements with anybody. Hmm. They never gave guitars for free. Hendrix, Blackmore, Beck, everybody bought their guitars. Wow. Nobody ever got it for free. But Ibanez came around and Ibanez started killing, you know, and yeah. they gave cars to everybody. Here, take that, throw that old fucking thing out. Here's an Ibanez for you. And Aria and Charvel and all these very big, stiff competition. Before it was Gibson and Fender, that's it. Yeah. That time, so Dan Smith told me, I remember very clearly because I was playing the Long Beach Arena, California, mm-hmm. 1986, Trilogy Tour. And I had a 1961 and a 1956 Strat in in the dressing room, and Dan came in with a whole band of uh, you know guys from the, the you know the R and D, yeah. and they had like calipers and they were measured the, the neck shape and and everything like that. That's where the first models had the small heads on. And they Dan said to me like, you know, we gotta make a signature model first one. Oh wow, okay, for you, and he says. But, you know, we, we can't make it scalloped, you know. I said, well, I don't think, then they'll, you know, I was kind of like cocky little kid, you know. I said, no, it has to be scalloped. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. So we ended, ended up with that. And I said, I can't use Fender pickups either. They saw. I hate Fender pickups. <laughs> I never liked them. I never liked them. I thought, I always thought they sucked shit, you know. And then, then they said something like that. Oh, yeah. And then we put your name here, you know. Oh, no, I want it right here. I said, for a joke. That's why they put the name here because I told them to. Up on the headstock. Yes. And so, and I remember uh, about, about almost like a few months, like 10 months later, I was in Texas in the studio recording Odyssey 
And Dan came in with a prototype. Had my tech tune it, not even change strings, tune it to E flat. And I did the solo on Heaven Tonight with him. Wow. Yeah. The solo on Heaven Tonight is done with that first guitar Dan game. That was, that was just a prototype for me to say yes, no, you know. And that was in January, around uh, like 87. Wow. Yep. In fact, Fender never really used artists in their ads or they didn't give artist endorsements. Yeah. Because back in, from the 50s to the 70s, Fender was like basically that if, what else are you going to buy? But it became very, very big uh, late. I would say late 70s, early 80s was the competition became very bad. Okay. I used to say, everybody come, every guitar company came up to me when I was like hot, you know. Yeah. In the early 80s, I came in and said, hey, give me this, give me this. And I said, no, I'd rather buy a Fender than get one for free from you. I said, wow. I was very loyal. Well, I, I, clearly, I mean, you're still playing them. Yes. Okay. I want to ask something that I haven't heard you talk about, and it's so clear to me, but I, I just don't know. I, I've never heard this from you in any other interview or anything. And it's, you seem to have a very strong sense of business or somebody around you does. I feel like you do. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you've been in this game for a long time. You've sold a lot of albums. You've sold a lot of tickets to tours. You have a signature instrument. I'm looking at you right now in a studio that has a bunch of appreciating assets behind you. <laughs> you have a collection of Ferraris. You have a collection of vintage gear. I noticed on on your Instagram that you you did a release of NFTs. You're you're. I can tell you're you're. As times are going on, you're st you're staying with kind of what different things are ha what things are happening in the music industry. I see that you've really put a lot of energy into your YouTube channel and your YouTube channel is growing. Over the years, you've done lesson videos in ways and you've been able to really take advantage of all the aspects of business that you can. And it's really inspiring to see as a guitar player, there's so many facets to your business. Can you tell me, is that something that you've had a natural knack for and how has that changed since you first started? I would be honestly, I, I would say that I wasn't very business savvy because I never like, saw it as a business when, when I came to America and stuff like that. I, I was <laughs> so I was very easily, uh, you know, I was also extremely young. Yeah. And I had different managers and stuff like that. Um, but it, this business is very um, uh, doggy dog, you know? Mm hmm. Really is, you know, and, uh, and that's an only mean with labels and and the, it could be anything. It could be accountants. It could be anybody that just sees an opening. You know, they they can come in. So I've I've been burned a couple of times, but as far as uh, you know, what we do now, it's it's all in house. It's family oriented. Mm -hmm. um, I can't take credit for 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 a lot of things. It's it's the people I have. Sure. I'm 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 very aware of what's going on, but I'm I'm not necessarily the the I'm both. Yeah, you know what I mean, sure. You know, and I, and I see I see that um, you know, the, this way of touring, there's a way of doing things like that, which could be bad money wise and could be good bad money wise. You know, there's a lot of ways you can do it. You know, mm -hmm. but money has always been like sort of a tool for me. I mean, it's more like 
what can you do with the money? You know what I mean? Sure. It's not like a money first thing. Yeah. I, I never, never thought of it like that. Well, one thing you might be discrediting yourself on by saying you have t- the team around you is that you have the knowledge and the wisdom to different things to know to have a great team around you and to trust them and to let them guide you in certain ways. And for you to be able to say, yeah, I'm down with this or that might be a good, like that might be a good business decision, but I'm not excited about it. So I'm not going to do it. No, I I always, I never do it blindly. Of course. Yeah. The closest people around me that, that they are definitely the driving force about, you know, on, on how things are running right now. Yeah. So I cannot take credit for that, you know. I mean, I, as I just, but as you said, as I said earlier, I'm very well aware of what's going on. Yeah, I wouldn't walk into something without knowing exactly what it is, and so on. So yeah, you said in passing you were burned a couple times. Yeah, how do people <laughs> prevent themselves from getting burned? You don't have to go into detail. I, I don't necessarily care to know the details. You can share as much as you want, but. There's a lot of people that have stories of being burned in the industry. And so many people that listen to this podcast, of course, are musicians or people that are in the industry already or getting their way into the industry. How can people prevent themselves from being burned? And what are some things, what are some ways that people should take risks or, or find? And what are some ways that people should be cautious? Well, first of all, what's most important to remember is this business today and they say 25, 30, 40, 40 years ago, 35 years ago, it's, it's black and white. There's yeah. no, nothing is similar. Mm-hmm. The way it used to be was you had to have a manager. The manager had contacts and he would get you the best record deal and the record company would give you money to make a record mm-hmm. and they would decide whether or not they're going to promote you. Whether or not they're gonna, you know, what, where on on the totem pole are you gonna be? Because you could be on the biggest label in the world, but if you're low on the totem pole, that's not good. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, what 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 everything was about at that time was money. I'm talking serious money. Ten million, ten million sales times fifteen dollars. Yeah, you know, wasn't uncommon. But now there's that revenue is not there. So now there's. It's not like some guy with a cigar sitting in an office somewhere in New York City, you know. It's not like, I'm sure there still is some, but it's not, that's not the norm. So for a new kid, I really don't, I mean, I, I guess you have to, also the exposure that you could get back then was limited. Like, for instance, if you didn't have MTV, you didn't have airplay, you didn't have anything. You could tour, your, your, you could tour and tour and tour and tour, but it was very little comparison to, Heavy rotation of MTV. Now that obviously is gone. Yeah. So all of that was inside baseball. And then, um, now it's all YouTube and, um, stuff like that. But ultimately at the end of the day, it's not like a big pot of money that somebody's going to want. Yeah. At the same level, at least. Yeah. You know? Sure. Yeah. 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 And that's why it's completely different. And I, it's strange. I, I think in a lot of ways it's better. In a lot of ways it's worse. Mm-hmm. It's better because there's a lot more, there's less formula, formula. You know, the formula is not the same, you know. It used to be, if you don't have a certain sound, if you don't have a certain look, you can't never, you, you never get signed. That's it. You know, and then that changed in 91 with the grunge era. And then the grunge era just killed the whole thing that was before it. And then after the grunge era was kind of fizzing away, nothing replaced it. Mm. 
as far as you know a main sound you know what i mean yeah yeah more like spit in, in many and also all the computers and, and stuff like that now of course with cell phones it's completely different with everything's on the phone but i would just say that, that you just i i rather say this forget the business if you have a calling so to speak and if you have a a passion for something don't let somebody tell you not to do it yeah don't let somebody say oh you should do it like this you should do it like that no don't fuck them Never let people tell you what to do. If they say, well, you know, if you do this, you're going to get more this. No. What you have in here, you use that and this, and you make what you want to do. And let me tell you something. At the end of the day, I'm a living example of this. I didn't compromise. In the 80s, I compromised a little bit. <laughs> okay. Because I had to do it because they did the whole system, you know, like one, one or two little pop shit, you know, whatever. But, <laughs> ultimately I, I really really stayed with, with the core of yeah. what, what yeah. and Nicola Paganini said to make others feel strongly you must feel strongly mm. so if you're really passionate about something people can't ignore that yeah they're either gonna love it or they're gonna hate it but they, 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 they're not gonna ignore it if it's just vanilla uh, you know Here's here's a pr product. Here's a product. Oh, it sells x x amount today and tomorrow or later today it's gone. You know. Yeah. That that's my advice. If you want to do this, if you want to be a musician, be a real musician, and do. And that doesn't mean oh yeah, you got to practice twelve hours a day. No, it means do you do what you want to do? If you want to do this, three notes, but that's what you want to do. Do that. Yeah. Don't, you don't have to do what other people do. You don't have to do what other people tell you to do. If it's inside of you, do it. That's my advice. I love that. I love you know? that. That that actually is really encouraging to hear from you. And that's that's something that shows a lot of artistry in what you do. And I think that is something that's actually really inspiring to a lot of other guitar players is that you have done that exact thing. And, and I know that you're not just saying this. I could hear it through your entire discography and I could hear it in the way that you play and your style, how you've really found a singular voice on the instrument and really come up with something that's unique and your own. So that's really inspiring. And I just want to say thanks so much for joining us today, Ingbe. This has been really great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And next time in Miami Beach, I'll I'm I'll I'll bring my Ferrari down and we'll we'll race. Right. Yeah, I think Rich, Richard Bona and Niall Rogers are both there too. We'll, we'll we'll line up the four of us together and get a little street race you going. It. You're on. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Ingve Momstein. Funny cat. The dude's funny. He's he's a funny guy. I like I like what he's got going on. Gotta respect the hustle. Gotta respect the confidence. Gotta respect the time and energy put into the craft. I dig it. Thanks for hanging out with us this week. I'll see you next time. And if you're if you're in planet Earth, just look up Corey Wong tour dates. I'm touring all over the world over the next year. Just look it up. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next time. Peace.